on. Uh, but last week we started this four-week series entitled The Next 10 as we have celebrated our 10th anniversary back in November as a church. And we begin to look forward to say, God, what do you have for us in the next 10 years? What are the ways in which you've been moving in the midst of this community of faith over these last 10 years that we could signal, God, you've been at work in that way and we wanna continue to join you in the years ahead. The journey of this next 10 for us began last week as we looked in Jeremiah chapter 29 and this famous passage of text where Israel, who has been exiled back to Babylon or to Babylon for the first time, but back in exile again. And God says to them, in the midst of where you are, be there. Live there, plant yourself there, plant gardens, build homes, grow your family. And the welfare of those who live among you will be dependent upon your welfare and your welfare dependent on theirs. So pray into, be in and with and for the world around you. That famous passage goes on to give what many of us may be familiar, that famous passage in 2911, or for I know, for, I, for you know the plans I have for you, plans for future, for hope, not to harm you, but to prosper you. And this serves as the backbone for our commitment as we began last week of local compassion of what does it look like for us as a church to be present in the community where we live and to be the good news of Jesus. I was sitting with a group of pastors yesterday in Philadelphia of all places and one of them was talking about a number of different things but said we must do X and Y and Z so that we can share the gospel of Christ with them. And one of the other pastors spoke up and said, uh, you got it half right. The X and the Y and the Z is the gospel of Christ. You're not being just to people so that by way of your justice, you can then share the three-step beautiful plan towards a No, that is the gospel, justice. Joy is the gospel. Seeking out the presence of Christ is the gospel. Mourning for those who are hurting is the gospel. Thank you, Sean, for commending that word to us even in these moments prior. I confess it took us 10 years to feel in our bones what we have read in scripture all these years, but we feel it now, church. That just as the Father has sent the Son, the Father and Son have sent the Spirit, and the Spirit is sending the church. The Spirit is sending us. And as November, we looked at the names of God the Father. In December, we looked at names of the Son, Jesus. This month, we now shift our attention to the Holy Spirit who is sending you and I to be for and with this world. Not to be some holy enclave of people where we get our one or three or five hours a week of peace, depending on how often you connect, but that you and I come here and arrive on Sundays and arrive midweek into our life group as missionaries, ready to fuel back up to be sent on mission together. And you've heard me say it before that anytime you and I don't live as followers of Christ with a mindset of a missionary, our life begins to make less sense. Retirement will make more sense to you when you use it 
as a mission field. Raising babies when they scream in the middle of the night will always make more sense to you when you see them as the object and the, not to objectify them, but as the, the purposeful mission field of your life. Your marriage, your relationships, that sometimes you go, why in the world am I doing this? this that is the context for mission. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which is a similar meaning to breath or to blow wind, primarily denotes movement. This idea that the Holy Spirit denotes movement in us. Interestingly enough, nowhere in scripture is the Holy Spirit ever worshiped. That's kind of interesting, right? Never worship the Holy Spirit. We worship God the Father and his son who has set us free and the spirit sends us. So this idea that I wanna engage with the Holy Spirit, I, 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 Holy Spirit, come. And we, we prayed these prayers this morning. Come, Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, move in our midst. We cannot pray those words and then not go when he sends us. The, the Holy Spirit is not there to hang out with us. I mean, I, I think he really likes us. But the... <laughs> The purpose of the Spirit is to partner with us as we cooperate in being sent to our world. So here's what we know for sure as a church. We know for sure that there are these four areas over the last 10 years that this uh, little enclave and remnant of people have been seeing God move for 10 years. Some of you have been along for the ride the whole 10 years. Some of you, nine and eight and seven and six. And for some of you, today is the first day you've ever been here. We'll be marking your car. We'll expect to see you back next week. Um, it's, it's only creepy the first couple times, we probably. The point, of, the, the point of that is we have been watching God at work in our midst and we have been learning as a people what it is to discern where God is at work and join him in his work. To stop trying to bang our heads against a brick wall, trying to motivate God to do something for us that we can make him the mascot of. God, I really wanna get this thing done and I have a feeling it, it would be really good for me. And so I'd like you to get on board with it, God. You ever prayed that prayer? Have you prayed it yet today? Are you human? If no, we see these four areas, local compassion, global reach, breakthrough in worship and planting more churches. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. If you haven't already, and as Sean mentioned, use that YouVersion app. If you tap on the bottom right there, that little hamburger menu down there will take you to an events page. And our, our event should be right at the top of the list based on your location. And uh, engage with that event today as we continue to explore more of this next 10 vision. Uh, pray with me if you would as we continue on. Father, Son, and Spirit, we, uh, we pause uh, yet again this morning to declare that we, uh, we believe you live in perfect unity together and that that is the context that you have created for us as a church to be, that we live in unity together. 
you're sending us on your mission. Give us eyes to see what you're up to and ears to hear. For we, uh, we trust that anywhere that you are is where we ought to be. And not in some like guilt or shame way, but in some uh, understanding that where your presence is and where your spirit is moving is the best of all possible lives for us. Attune our hearts and spirits to you, Jesus, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You uh, heard some of Jackie and Greg's story earlier. But as I mentioned, the story doesn't begin there. In fact, uh, Ben Jenkins really gets credit for starting that thread of the story of Disciples Church. And Ben right now, uh, beautifully so, who has been with us for 10 years, is in rocking your babies right now. Some of your babies are screaming and moms, dads, you can feel it in your bones. They're in really good hands. Ben is about the most gentle human I've ever known. And uh, Ben had um, Mo and Lindsay Earl as roommates. And Mo was uh, in the process of recovering, um, this is these, his language, not mine, in the process of recovering from a long season of atheism in his life. And he was living with Ben and Ben said, well, I'm gonna go down and clean my church, uh, go down to the building and clean. And so you're coming with me. Uh, and so uh, Mo, before Mo ever engaged with you or I in community, before Mo even decided to follow Jesus, he cleaned up your messes. Uh, so that's like kind of cool. I, I like that that culture was ingrained right from the get-go. Uh, Mo and Lindsay turned up in about year two of the church, right around 2011 or so. Their marriage was new. They were a young married couple. And uh, in their early 20s, and they were looking for community. And I think also looking for some answers to some of life's deepest questions. And uh, I find that when we begin to hit our 20s, sometimes it doesn't happen until our 30s, we begin to ask some of these deeper questions. And if we're in a, a safe community to ask some of the bigger questions, we might ask those as well. I hope that you find this to be one of those communities where those questions are very, very safe. Not long after being part of Disciples, Lindsay renewed her commitment to follow Jesus and Mo, who had long struggled with his own inner turmoil with God's existence, had an encounter with Christ and committed his life to Jesus as well. And we went down to the river and baptized Mo in the river. And it was a beautiful experience. And we looked back at Ben and said, Ben, thank you for inviting him to come clean the church. Ben, thank you for thinking about your task of cleaning the church as more than a task to get done, but as a mission field. And I just believe it all my heart and soul. And if he, if he says otherwise, he's a liar that Ben thought, I need help vacuuming the carpet and it will give me confined space in the house of God to be with Mo. And he brought Mo down here. But that also isn't the end of the story because shortly thereafter, Lindsay invited her older sister Susie to start popping into church and Susie quickly recommitted her life to Christ. She's since moved away to downtown Sacramento and the drive has been too far for her, but we, we see her occasionally. Susie's daughter, Taylor, gave her life to Christ and was baptized. And Jackie showed up, as she mentioned on video, to Taylor's baptism for the first time. Uh, on Monday nights this spring, Jackie's and Jackie's husband, Greg, uh, they're not, I haven't seen, you aren't here today, right? Um, I feel like I would see you. It's not, yeah. Uh, Greg and Jackie will be leading a life group in my living room. Uh, what a just a beautiful full circle 
of the ways in which God works, the ways in which God sets us on this trajectory of service. Just this past year, Mo was back at it, engaging with a friend. And as it turns out, one of his good friends, Katie, who's right down here, who also had had her own inner turmoil with beliefs about whether God is real and what, who God is and what is God. And she began to sit with Mo in their kitchen table, I believe, and probably talk and sometimes argue. And um, if I know y'all, like I think I do, yell and scream at times uh, about God. Do you even exist? How, how can this make sense in a world where there is a God? And over the course of time, Katie also committed her life to Christ and was baptized right here some months ago. This is the story at its core of the multiplying work of the gospel advancing through church planting. This is it. Like I've told people before, like if I had a printed copy of the scriptures in my hand, mine's digital, but if I held them in my hand and I said, tear out every page in here that talks about gospel advancement through church planting, you'd have to tear out half of the New Testament, if not more. This is the story of church planting when a when a disconnected people come together and try to figure out how to do community together with all of our different networks of friends and we come together with our different thoughts about God and beliefs about politics and opinions about the world and we come together and we say, we are going to intentionally gather together in a community as people and learn what it is to foster the presence and person of Jesus together. And we're gonna look across the room at, at our left-wing friend or our right-wing friend with whom we disagree on everything there is to disagree with and yet we're gonna to come to the table. We're gonna take bread and we're gonna hold it up and look them in the eye and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And then we're gonna take a cup and we're gonna say, this is the blood of Christ that ushers in the new covenant in his blood something in that moment, everything else falls away. And who they're gonna vote for or not vote for, what they think about gun control or how they feel about vaccinations or hybrid cars or whatever else it is you've built your straw man on seems to fall away real quick. Because Jesus is present in the midst. our dream, and we believe it's God's dream that we're tapping into for Disciples Church is to see all of us in the Disciples family focused, resourced, and released to go on mission in the ways in which Jesus has always invited his people to go on mission. We've talked about how we think that will look through partnering locally and We'll talk in weeks to come about the spiritual breakthroughs we're seeking in worship. You heard a bit about global outreach, but today I wanna talk about church planting. And this is a difficult one sometimes for us because we, we wonder how do we all tap into this in a particular way. In Acts chapter 13, just as Christianity was gaining a little head of steam, Barnabas is sent from Jerusalem, the center for religious activity up north to Antioch to find out what was going on at the church in Antioch. It seemed like something was cooking up there. So the leaders send him up there and he sees what's going on in Antioch and goes, oh my goodness, this is amazing. 
you've got to get for me that crazy guy, Saul, who's out there turning the world upside down. He goes out and he finds Saul. He brings him back to the church in Antioch. And in chapter 13, it says, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria, and it gives a whole long list and a, and a beautiful list. And for the sake of time, I won't, I won't expand on it much. If you've been around the church very often, you've heard me preach this text about once a year. But an incredibly diverse group of people around that table. But it says there in, in the latter verses, there appoint Barnabas and Saul for me for the special work that I have for them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. And verse four, so Barnabas and Saul were sent by the Holy Spirit. And this has been the nature of our reality as a people for a very long time that we are being sent by the Holy Spirit. So this idea that you and I would attune our ear and our hearts when we wake on Monday morning to say to Jesus, where are you sending me today? Well, to some extent, we know where. We're gonna go to work or we're gonna go to school or we're gonna care for children or we're gonna enjoy a day off. But how will you send me into that place to be your hope, Jesus? Luke 10, as we arrive at that text, exposes for us three lies that keep us as individuals and as a church from playing our role in being those sent ones. These lies serve often as barricades that kind of close off the road that's marked out for you and I as followers of Jesus. Go to uh, Luke chapter 10 with me now, if you would. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were the instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go and remember, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. So don't take any money with you or a traveler's bag nor an extra pair of sandals. And don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. And if those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. And if they are not, the blessing will return. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place. This is back to Jeremiah 29. Jesus is reconnecting us to 29. Stay in one place. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. I want to unpack these three lies uh, briefly and give a challenge for us. Lie number one, um, wealthy suburbanites don't have any need for Jesus. We have everything we need. This is the first lie that I think you and I are living with, whether we get up in the morning and we speak it to ourselves or not. We, we believe this to some extent. Verses one and two are really, really clear, right? The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray for workers into the harvest. This lie that wealthy suburbanites don't have any need for Jesus is just that, it is a lie. Now, here's the difficult edge to this, that if our interaction with who God is as a church 
is not connecting with our community, it may say more about the gap in our message than it does their heart's desire to connect with God. I've had no less than six, if not seven or eight in the last year. Dear friends, suburbanites doing really well, making a great living, awesome 401k in the making who've come to me after following Jesus for years and said, I'm not so sure God exists anymore. And if he does, I don't think he's good. And I'll tell you what, the first one of those that hit me a year and a half ago rendered me as insecure in my life with God as I have been in 20 years because I realized I am not prepared to walk that journey with my friend. And so my options at this moment are to become self-righteous and say, well, you know what you need to do? You need to read your Bible more, right? Pray harder. You must not be praying hard enough. There's probably some sin in your life. Maybe you should start tithing. I'm glad you laughed. That would have been really awkward if a few of you didn't laugh on that one. I was nervous. I looked at that one this morning at 5 a.m. on my notes. Went, do I do it? I don't know. If they don't laugh, it's going to get weird. Thank God that what he's, he has created in us as a people in Disciples Church is a community so tight-knit that none of those were an option any of us were willing to take when one of our own said, I'm not so sure about God anymore. That I think our collective response for the most part was to say, all right, let's walk this road together. Let's do this. Let's get after it. We had to go back to school. We had to do some work. And now they're just flooding in. For those of you who are friends of mine on Facebook, I posted this up uh, last week sometime and had 50 or 60 comments from people all around the country saying, I'm struggling with atheism. People who I know have been walking with Jesus for a long, long time saying, finally, let's talk about it. I could fill the next year of my life flying around from city to city to city to sit down over coffee and have the conversation with people. I'm gonna have to trust that they're in communities where that's gonna happen for them. But the truth of the matter is wealthy suburbanites who have everything they need are in desperate need to engage with deep conversations about who God is. That the world that we have created for ourselves with all of its safety and security and yet left us feeling really unsafe and fragile is a beautiful opportunity to begin to talk about our inner life with God and what God's up to. We have to continue to morph and change as a church. We have to continue to innovate and dream. We have to create an environment where we teach our kids the truths of scripture and the goodness of God. And then we have to allow them to create communities that will live that out. And if you and I are to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit in announcing that kingdom of God is alive and well in our midst, we will have to be humble enough to let our church change and morph over time to usher in the kingdom of heaven to those lives who come to us. We've got to operate in a spiritual posture that says the next woman 
at the well could be my neighbor. The next person who comes broken and tired and weary and desperately in need of an encounter with God could be the very next person to turn a city upside down. It says the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers. Line number two, uh, we don't have enough money to participate in this Jesus sending mission. Line, line number two, we don't have enough money or I don't have enough money or my spouse won't let me spend enough money. What, what You fill in that blank, however, but this is a continual lie that speaks into us. I, I can't... I can't enter into the Jesus mission right now. I've got too much going on. I've got to work this overtime. I've got to make this money. Verses three and four again indicate something really interesting. Now go, Jesus says, and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. So don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. If we're to operate in this kind of mentality, we have to see the most important resource in our community of faith, our actual community of faith. It's not gonna be the lights on stage. It's not gonna be the rented facility. It's not gonna be the flashy cards or the Instagram ads. It's going to actually have to be us as a people living in our community different from a hopeless world. We will actually have to portray a life in an authentic way that is good news. That when our neighbors see our pace and our pursuits and our people, that they say to their neighbors, I wanna be like that. Our lives will actually be good news. Jesus sends the 72 out with no money and sends them into really dangerous territory. We have every resource we need. We have everything we need, guys. Everything we need to usher in the next 10. Everything we need to spread the gospel far and wide. Lie number three. I don't know enough and or I haven't experienced enough. I don't yet know enough or I haven't experienced enough. Verses five through nine, Jesus says, whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this home. Those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. And if they're not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place and eat and drink what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you and heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. You now know everything you need to know. You just, you enter a home wherever God brings you and you enter the home and whether we learn as a people to begin to actually say the words, may God's peace be upon your home or whether just in our actions and our posture that's communicated, that we be bringers of peace. See, for a long time, 
certainly in my parents' generation, what the Christian faith movement brought to a situation was answers. Right, that's what we brought. We brought answers. My marriage is falling apart. Well, here's what you need. You just need to read your Bible more, which is good. Like, read your Bible more. Don't hear me say, don't read your Bible. Or you need to pray more. And praying more is wonderful. That's a great thing. We should pray more. That will fill our souls. But you know what people really need for us to bring? Jesus doesn't say, when you enter somebody's home, be sure you bring answers about why they're so sinful. When you enter somebody's home, be sure that you bring flyers for your church so they can come on Sunday. When you enter somebody's home, be sure you tell them when the synagogue meets so that they can cut. No, when you enter their home, bring peace and heal the sick and announce the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. Whoa. The innovation here is uh, pretty simple, guys. Enter people's homes with peace. Don't move around and accept hospitality. I I think this applies to us as friends too. Don't bounce around to friend groups. And I I don't mean be closed off, but I mean pick some friends and go deeply with them. For some of you, that comes a bit more naturally. For others, you're, you know, this high-level extrovert and, you know, you have a thousand friends but we need to go deep with some people so that when they speak into our life, we listen. So when they speak up, we hear. So that as we announce peace to their home, they see it in us over time. Here's here's the reality and how this connects, I believe, to church planting in a general sense, which we'll continue to do institutionally, I say with air quotes. I mean, we'll continue when a new church planter comes to town or comes to state or we meet them and God brings them into our life, we will continue to support them and send them out. We've helped 10 church plants get started in our 10 years. And there are a few things I'm as proud of for you as a church as I am that. For what it's worth, you've been named as one of 100 churches in all of America who are a multiplying church. There's only a hundred that they have found in all of America who have actually multiplied themselves over and over and over again. And that's you disciples. And by the way, of the hundred churches on that list, you are by far and away the least resourced, the smallest, with the least cool pastor, <laughs> with all of it. Like you stack us up against all of them and it's like one of these is not like the other and the other one is us. <laughs> It's beautiful, it's beautiful. But how this connects to our grander church planting story in the trenches every day is this common dirty little secret about the local church, which is our kids don't want the keys to our car. I mean, some of you have really cool cars and in a literal sense, your kids want the keys to it. But as it relates to the church that we have created, as a generation, our kids will look at the church we've created and go, eh, it's not for me. We, we have to engage enough with our community that we are morphing and changing all the time. And so that in year 11, we are planting the church God has called us to plant for the community now with this core group of people. 
And I bet if we counted around the room, somebody probably has, there's about 72 of us engaged today. The exact number that Jesus sends out two by two. Like we don't need more, guys. I I mean, there's lots of empty chairs and we'll add more and we'll add services again and if we need to, but we have everything we need. We just must be the good news. We must bring peace to every scenario where we walk and begin to talk to our children about the kind of church that their friends would want to come to and be humble enough to hand it over to them over time. Build homes and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children and then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. I don't know if I've shared this illustration with you here yet or not, but if I have, it just worked so good, I'm gonna do it again. So forgive me if I have. Uh, But the first transatlantic flight at supersonic speeds happened in 1969 and went on later to be called the Concorde Jet. It flew commercially from 1976 to 2003. It was a joint effort between the French and the British governments to put together a supersonic jet that could fly across the ocean at Mach 2. It would deliver travelers from Heathrow Airport in London to the US, either Dulles, I believe, or uh, somewhere in New York, in three and a half hours. I flew from Philadelphia to California yesterday and it took me seven. I was missing that three and a half hour supersonic jet. That would have been awesome. Uh, In today's money, one ticket on that flight was $12,000, round trip. In today's uh, dollars, it was, I believe it turned out to be 8,000 in those days for round trip and it was full every time. And while they were able to charge this premium, uh, it was 30 times the normal cost for a normal ticket uh, to get to the same place. Uh, they knew almost immediately it was a losing venture. For a number of reasons, uh, the innovations were amazing, obviously. Mach 2 in a commercial jet, uh, it had a lot of different problems. It could only seat about 100 people. It uh, literally was ripping landing gear off the airplane uh, at a pretty regular basis. Uh, They had all kinds of issues when you put a jet in the air and go that fast on a regular basis, things were literally tearing off the thing. Um, Not an awesome experience if you're in the air and you're seeing things fly off of it. Uh, But when it was all said and done, the experiment cost the British and French governments over a billion dollars. Not a million, that's B, billion, one billion dollars for those over 30 in the room. (laughs) Here's the fascinating part. They knew almost immediately uh, it was a losing venture and that the innovations they had learned in the R&D were the only innovations they would learn. They weren't gonna learn more by having it run commercially and yet it ran commercially for 27 years. That's where they lost a billion dollars, yeah. Fascinating uh, situation. In fact, if you um, look up in... uh, 
a dictionary or textbook now. Um, it's titled The Sunk Cost Fallacy. For those of you economics uh, experts in the room or economists, you know uh, that they connect the Concord Project to the sunk cost fallacy. The basic thinking here is we have spent so much time and effort and money to get here that even though we're not getting the results we should, we're just gonna continue to push it through because of how much we've invested. You ever been in one of those relationships? <laughs> right? Just put so much time and energy into trying to fix him. I can't leave now. In his book called Transformation, the wonderful pastor from the Dallas area, Bob Roberts Jr. writes this uh, about this for the church. Before we can figure out where we go from here, we have to realize how deep into the woods we've wandered. In other words, we have to understand how we got lost in order to find our way home. We thought that the hallmarks of modernity, individuality, reason, science, and optimism would build the church like never before. And it did grow and lives were changed. In American culture, production, momentum, and results reign supreme. However, as Western pragmatists, we too often believed that as long as we were producing some results, it didn't matter what the results were. This has indescribably hugely influential implications for us as a community of faith. That we've been going for 10 years as a church and if we just continue to carry on as we have, because we put so much time and effort in, there is a very real possibility, in fact, more likely a probability that we will not usher in where it is God wants us to go. We will fly a Concorde jet for the next 27 years, hoping to get new results that will not come because the Holy Spirit is blowing a wind on us that is taking us a different direction. And here's the thing, guys, as convinced as we as a leadership team have ever been in our lives in 10 years as a church, the missing piece will be 72 people going out arm in arm on the Jesus mission. If we think that we can continue to fill a room full or half full on Sunday mornings and say some encouraging words and sing some songs on K-Love and somehow that's gonna change lives, we are mistaken. Now, it doesn't mean this gathering isn't central to who we are as a community of faith, but this gathering is central to who we are as a Jesus people on mission. Now, if you're arriving broken and you need a season of time to get healed up, let's get you healed up. Come see us, let's get you healed up. If you're coming here and arriving and you have a skeptical eye and you're wondering what makes us tick, stick around long enough to find out if we're the real deal or not. But if this is your family, it is time to lock arms and to enter into this Jesus mission to arrive in every scenario you arrive in at work, at play, in your neighborhood and say, I bring peace to you. How can I usher in peace to your life this day? How are you doing? This is the Jesus mission in our midst. I wanna invite the band and the prayer team to join me up front and prayer team members as well and back for those who would rather get prayer and back. 
And I wanna propose to you a question as you arrive for prayer this morning, whether you do that privately between you and God or whether you go to somebody on the prayer team and get prayer. Begin with this prayer. God, how are you calling me to bring peace to my neighbor this week? God, how are you calling me to bring peace to my neighbor this week? I believe that the Holy Spirit, as as he has a way of doing, is going to blow fresh wind and fire into you and direct you right to the person whom he desires for you to bring peace to this week. God, how are you calling me to bring peace to my neighbor this week? Stand to your feet if you would as we close this morning. As I mentioned, prayer, I, we do have prayer team people around, right? Yeah, okay. Um, come to the front or go to the back and receive prayer. Just begin that prayer time with, God, how are you calling me to bring peace to my neighbor this week? And while you're up and around, while you're communing with God and praying with others, don't miss an opportunity to give back generously. This is also uh, our closing time of worship where we give. There's a station in back if you wanna go to the station and pray over that offering. If you're doing that digitally and you'd rather just do that right where you're at, the instructions are there. They're also in your U version and on the printed program when you came in. But take advantage of that. Get prayer, God, where are you calling me? How are you calling me to bring peace to my neighbor this week? And be sure that you take an opportunity with God to give back. Let's sing together in worship and uh, Michelle will be able to wrap us up at the end.